listening to the Couples Guide podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Talia. We're both licensed marriage and family therapists. And today, like every day, (laughs) we're debunking myths and delivering truth about dating, relationships, and everything in between. Trust us. It's awesome. (laughs) Could you imagine if that's how I cried? Yeah, I can. Crying. It really annoys me when you cry that way, Talia. This episode ninety-eight. That's so hurtful. Stop crying. We got to do this episode. Fine. Okay, I'm good. I'm just. I have a lot of feelings. I'm sure you do, but we need to defeat those feelings. <laughs> oh, We're aside from this, like a crazy maniac, what are we going to talk about? In yeah, today's no, besides, episode, it's Brian. like, oh my gosh, that's so mean. Uh, yeah, episode 98, we're calling Defeating Defensiveness. Um, we got this um, question from uh, your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, someone asked us how to tell a defensive partner they are wrong or they've done something you don't like without making them cry. Hmm. Very curious. There are many yeah. ways we can go with this. Yeah. Well, you and I both went, oh, that's an interesting question because we both see this happen a lot um, in our offices. Yes. Um, can you share a little bit what you mentioned before uh, um, before we start recording about kind of mm-hmm. how you see this kind of show up in your office? Yeah. So what I was mentioning or uh, referencing is in sessions where the waterworks come up and it really neutralizes or kind of disarms it's, I think it's designed to disarm, but really it just makes it impossible to move forward with progress. Cause it's like, okay, here we go again. Like now we can't address this because oftentimes in some cases the tears are used as like a, not as a defense mechanism, but more like I'm going to start crying. So then we're going to get distracted from what I've done wrong and you have to go in and rescue me. And then we never really address what that original wrong was or how I may have done something that hurt you or that you didn't like. And it's used as, in that case, like a defense tactic. So we don't actually have to be vulnerable and I don't have to accept accountability and you go in and rescue me. This is, this can also happen, obviously, if somebody's having something brought up and they're becoming activated and triggered and their tears are a natural response. That's more like biology and the evolution of if we're feeling threatened, tears trigger, like I'm in help. I need help. I'm, I'm not going to fight you. It's difficult to fight while you're crying. So I see it in both angles, but I more so commonly see it used as a weapon where that sobbing or that crying is really designed to throw the person off their original path from getting their need met or addressing their primary complaint. Yeah. I just want to say one thing and clarify, like, we're not saying that anytime you're having a discussion or anytime you're in couples no. therapy, one partner cries, this is the dynamic. No. This is a very specific dynamic that can happen. And in, in many ways, like when you boil it down to the basics, it makes sense. One partner is sharing something difficult that can often be perceived or felt as a criticism or blame, even when it's not, even when that partner is not using critical or blaming language. So the other partner is hearing, oh, that sucks. And then boom, the waterworks come, as you put it, Mm -hmm. the the tears start. Um, That's that defensive piece where sometimes crying can be a defensive thing. Um, Yeah. Um. And as you're pointing out, I'm just reiterating what you already shared, just to loop it together, that there is an actual way of this can come for some people as a very strong 
well, wait, now I'm upset because of what you shared. And then instead of focusing on the original thing, the partner who, you know, was feeling hurt or pointing out a difficult thing, the first yeah. part of the conversation, part A, partner, the other partner goes into cry. Now I'm upset because you said something quote unquote mean about me. And yeah. now we're on to part B without ever resolving part A. And then yeah. the danger of this is then the first part, who is trying to talk about something very genuine about this part A never feels heard or understood um, and never gets to get be able to express or heal about the part A because the other partner brings part B in, the defensiveness, their hurt, their pain, their insecurity in the moment and kind of hijacks the conversation into this part B area. So that, that I think is just another way I'm thinking about this is a very common thing that can happen. And again, it makes sense. It's hard to hear difficult things about ourselves. And when our partner who we love the most is sharing something that they think we've done wrong or something that we've done that hurt them, that's really difficult to hear. No one likes to feel like they've hurt somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, that's rough. Yeah. And I, I see it with this way. I see it this way sometimes in couples where, and this is, I would say more common in the therapy office rather than like in public, we might not see it this way because of societal conditioning that it's typically women who become moved to tears that actually flow out. But I've also seen men in my office where you can see the tears are welling up in their eyes or they're becoming like verklempt or emotional and then they shove it back down and it almost gets sublimated into a different emotion. And sometimes the, tears are coming or they're designed to like thwart the person or throw it off their path and they're misinterpreted. Not every time we're crying, is it sadness or melancholy? It could be anger and frustration. And so instead of punching you in the throat, I will cry and become upset because I'm trying to lower my defenses to not be aggressive. So there's all these other reasons that I would say go on. And I have a, a little like list that I can reference to, but for the majority of what happens when, if it's a heteronormative couple, if it is tears coming up from the female partner, it can be interpreted as either this is a hormonal response, like a stress response. You're doing this because you're actually feeling emotional or it's a sign of manipulation. You always do this is usually when I see the couples where it doesn't seem like genuine emotion or they're moved to like in the moment their feelings were hurt and they're like, uh, ow, like, of course, I'm going to cry when you said that, rather than they seem to have had this scripted out. And then the uh, the receiving partner of the tears is like, here we go again, you always do this. And in both of their defenses, I would say being curious as like the couples therapist is usually the stance I take. And I'm like, hang on, what do you mean? You always do this or hear this as again, can I, I was like, I haven't been in your relationship as long as you two have. What, what do you mean by that? Well, every time I bring this up or every time this, he always or she always, which is a huge red flag that something's up if we're using absolutes, being curious is what helps us to determine, are these manipulative tears? Is this an emotionally dysregulated partner? Or is this a pattern that's very painful that's gone unaddressed for many years? And naturally, I'm going to mourn and have sadness in my tears separate from anger or frustration. We just might, again, be sublimating it differently. So I don't throat punch you. I will cry instead. Yeah. Yeah. And 
in that, like whether or not it's um, genuine emotional dysregulation and right. and the, the the defensive partner who is in tear mode um, is just overwhelmed with with pain, and or if it's the manipulation piece, which by the way, like a lot of the manipulation pieces aren't a conscious. I'm choosing to do this. Um, Often not. It's it's maladapted from. Yeah. Child, like in childhood, we had to cry to get our needs met because we're pre-verbal. And that's where determining yeah. what the cry means is important. If we don't develop other adaptive, mature coping skills, it is, whether it's conscious or not, a regression back to that more infant-like state. Or if we're so in tears and we can't, like, we're not talking to the adult partner when that's happening, if they're yeah. so out of um, attunement. So I, I'm just pointing out because, like, I mean, there are some egregious situations very rare if you listen to this podcast i highly doubt this is going on in your relationship mm -hmm. very rare cases where one person will intentionally go oh i'm going to use tears to take over yes that's but more that, but there is a difference of someone being emotionally dysregulated versus having learned this maladaptive coping skill yes. to be like oh i don't want to go there so i'm going to cry mm -hmm. and let those tears flow or more importantly like just allow them to go without doing some personal self-regulation that yeah. can then hijack and that can be like that's more subtle manipulation yeah either way i just tend to look at okay so something's going on for that partner who's in defense mode that they need to defend they're not feeling safe one way or another um, and I think that's an important place to start before we actually answer the question of how to tell a defensive partner yeah. anything, um, got to understand that then the person who's going into their defense move, the tears, something doesn't feel safe for them. Something doesn't feel good for them. And just needing to understand that can help guide, well, how do you approach someone who's in that kind of distress if they're not feeling safe in that moment? How mm -hmm. do you share your genuine truth that maybe there was something that didn't work for you that that they did or that um it, it just is it felt like kind of like really off and you need mm -hmm. to talk about something genuine for you that's not good for you and but your partner doesn't feel safe to hear it um mm -hmm. so i just want to acknowledge that i was going to move on to the actual how to's but just anything on that that you want to address talia about oh, like, yeah. hey, what's going on with like the defensive partner yeah. So I think this also comes back to our society, like the other note that I had that I'll just like read off is like, it comes back to some of our societal conditioning in the defensive partner. If we're, if we are shaped by our environment that we can get out of certain situations by becoming emotional, which I used to make this joke, but I think the more the years have gone on, the more true it becomes the best way to get for a girl to get out of gym class is to either like use girl tears or say that you're on your cycle <laughs> like anything feminine was usually like the male gym teachers like no no i don't want that's gross like button it up tissue tampon whatever it is take it away from me you can be out of class or whatever the event is that you're trying to get out of usually for me it was the mile run um that it does elicit a response and it's designed to do so when when we're looking at a relationship where the tears are flowing because it's like, hey, ouch, that hurt, whether it's physical or emotional pain, that's a signal to the partner of too too far, my bad. It's almost um, eliciting the going in and the having the caretaking when we're, we're in a pattern with our partner of it being those mixed signals and it's being used as a defense against having to go deeper or be vulnerable or take accountability, then the, the seeing of crying is actually going to be more triggering to 
potentially anger, aggression, frustration, or stonewalling because I'm not doing this. I've tried to go in and console you or I didn't read your tears properly because I might not have ever been taught to cry. So the statistic that I found um, until about age 12, girls and boys cry about the same times. But by the time they're 18, women cry on average four more times than men. So we have about like 5.3 times a month. And this is a man's 1.4 times a month. And even from talking to men we and just getting statistics, we know there's averages, there's outliers. Some are far more, some are far less, if they admit it or not, obviously. It doesn't always elicit the same thing in the partner. And I've seen this work the other way, too, where the male partner becomes so overwhelmed and defensive. And instead of yelling or being aggressive it's the tears and then she will go into emotionally rescue. But the pattern is very similar regarding, regardless of who the partners are. I just think it's important to point out that societal structuring of that, we are more apt to go in and tend to a woman crying, oh my gosh, what's wrong? What's this? And if we see a guy crying, it's like, what a probably slur or term that is not appropriate. He's such a this, why can't you be a man? Like there's all these societal conditionings to it that I think further reinforce mostly women using this technique, but it's a defense that anybody can use. Absolutely. And I think the important thing I take from that is like systemically, these things are there where we're taught from 12 on Mm -hmm. to start shifting. And then we do have these big responses. Mm -hmm. So even if it's, um, you know, a partner who sees their partner crying and then goes, oh, no, I need, need to take care of it. That's one part of the systemic training. It also could be um, a partner who's just not comfortable with tears. So then that's where they start getting frustrated that their other that their partner is going into their defensive tears yeah. and is going, oh my gosh, here we cry again because, oh, what are you on your period? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Horrible <laughs> response. Yeah. And because it's not... It's because that person is so uncomfortable with emotion sometimes. Like, I don't know how to handle tears. So now the thing I wanted to share, I'm frustrated at, I can't talk about anymore because you're crying. And I'm also uncomfortable because you're crying. I have to label something that's, you know, um, really rude or I'm blaming you now. We're talking about part B. We never got to talk about part A, blah, 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 blah. Um, All coming from the systemic ideas of how we respond and emote together. So. Yeah, it it can, I think it triggers something in the receiving partner watching that if they are able to console the other partner effectively, I think that's a positive response where my tears are flowing, it is notifying or signaling to you I'm in distress, you are providing me some sort of solace or comfort, whether I explicitly ask for it or you intuit what I'm needing much like, again, that mother-child relationship where the mom might not know or the parent primary caregiver might not know what the child needs. But it's like, okay, I've cha- I gave you food. I changed your diaper. I rocked you. I this. And if you're still crying, okay, then you need me. Then I need to be there with you while we co-regulate and you work to calm down. That ability to self-regulate and co-regulate, I believe, is at the foundation of this pattern not continuing in a romantic relationship once it's addressed hey and being able to share with the partner how does it make you feel or how do you experience your partner when this type of response happens it makes me shut down it makes me not want to tend to and hearing that out loud your brain might be like shit that's the opposite response of what i'm going for 
It's not often until it's really called out lovingly in a whole picture. You think it's causing this or you're hoping it's causing this or in the past in your family, it caused this. Now it's not as adaptive. It might be having the opposite effect. And then you're wondering why your partner doesn't bring things up, doesn't want to have deep conversations, doesn't want to do anything wrong because they don't want to fall into this pattern or this cycle anymore. That makes me think about like one of the great values of couples doing the work in couples therapy is you can start talking about these patterns oftentimes when they're not happening. Yes. So if you're taking this from the podcast and what you're saying, Talia, then one thing that couples can do and how to address this or to actually answer the the listener's question of how to tell a defensive partner, ask to talk about it and talk about the pattern, kind of like how you can hear us on the podcast talking about it. And don't get trapped in a specific recent example. Yeah. It makes sense that when couples, you know, review something difficult that's happened, they want to go to the examples because that's how you yeah. illustrate your point. I get that. But a big trap, particularly with this dynamic of someone who turns to tears when they hear something distressing from their partner, um, is when you start using specifics, when you did this, blah, 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 it's so easily taken as a blame criticism. Yeah. couples get lost and then arguing about what happened or the deal is blah, blah, blah. Yes. So being able to initiate this kind of conversation when you're not in the dynamic can be very useful. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, I can definitely see someone in this dynamic getting worried to bring it up because, well, now I'm going to share when this happens, you're going to start crying. (laughs) That's okay. But there's, for a lot of people, it's doable to go, hey, let's just talk about this is hard for me, that this, I've noticed this thing. And let's work as a team to address this pattern instead of anything else that caused the pattern. In essence, if I'm going back to my part A, part B, what I'm pointing out is you can remove the part A from the equation for a second Mm -hmm. and just talk about part B. Hey, when when I'm talking about something and and I'm saying something that's like difficult for you and, and you go into tear mode, the waterworks flow, like, hey, can we talk about that? Um, what do you need in those moments? How are you, you know, what is it that doesn't feel safe here? Or what is it that's so overwhelming that then we can't revisit this thing that's hard for me? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a delicate balance. I get how that can actually, the pattern could be a part A. But a lot of times, if you set aside a conversation and have it like you do in couples therapy, yeah. but you don't say you need a therapist to do this, you're, you're creating safety as a team before you're having the, like, the thing that causes distress. So... I don't know if I do that super well, but the idea is talk about the pattern directly when you're Mm -hmm. not in it can be really useful. And when that pattern's coming, I just, while you were talking, thought of it. And even in my own life, there were times where I would be so angry, but didn't want to come off as an angry bitch or whatever stereotype. Uh So I would shift into a different stereotype of like the more vulnerable, like, not needy in a negative way, but like, I can't think of another word, but like that vulnerable, like a little baby lamb where it's like, please don't hurt me. And then it would detract from whatever we were talking about. I've been the recipient of that as well from other partners of like the crocodile tears where it's like, cause I have dated a sociopath in the past. I'm like, I know what you're doing. Okay. We're not dealing. And then if you know that, that's why I've seen partners before. They're like, I know what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is definitely a pattern. This is not genuine emotional tears. These are manipulative tears. Let's unpack that in part where it might come from is I can start off really strong and I'm very assertive. And that's something I've learned over the years. There are still times where I'll be like on a roll, normal tone, but very firm. And 
my emotions will be evoked and I'll almost be choking back tears and I don't apologize for them. I say I'm becoming emotional, so I'm going to do my best to work through this. I own it. And that helps. Even if the tears are coming out, I'm still articulating what's happening in the process. And that can be a helpful way that couples can move through it. Then the receiving partner can tolerate, wow, they were able to talk through their tears. They didn't shut down. I did not need to rescue. We can continue the conversation and tears are not a signal that we have to stop or that we have to detract from whatever the tough conversation is. So I recommend couples and individuals, it's okay to cry 100%, learning that it's not going to never end and it doesn't need to mean that you need to redirect or that tears are a signal that like you shouldn't be talking about this or you can't take accountability, work through it. Wow, that's making me emotional talk out loud what the tears mean. And that was one of the best things my one of my supervisors taught me years ago. I was working with a client where anything was causing the client to cry. This is not a judgment. This was an accurate, like I brought it into supervision. I was like, what's, what's going on? I have not dealt with this before. I'd like to give the best care. And we were working through likely with some emotional constipation and that any chance the tears had to come out even if it didn't make sense, they're like, here's our window. We, we haven't been able to cry for so many years. I'll cry at this. I'll cry at that. So there might be some emotional constipation you are feeling if you're the partner who is becoming so emotional while this is happening. All the more reason to be unpacking your own stuff, ideally in individual therapy, so that you can frame it. There's many times I'm like, I'm becoming emotional because this is reminding me of my childhood. I'm going to cry through it. You don't need to rescue me. Here's what, like, I will narrate that and it makes it much easier for him to sit there and be like, okay, and this and that. So it sounds like you need this. Yes. And then we move on past it much different than the shutdown and only tears. Yeah. So that's, that's, I love this piece that tears inherently aren't um, a, a huge stop sign to sharing and working through something. Correct. But it does take First of all, the partner crying to have some awareness of, am I emotionally shut down while I'm crying? As in, I can no longer hear the feedback my partner's giving me and being able to say, hey, I'm actually not listening really well right now. Or Mm -hmm. having awareness to go, no, I'm crying. And that's just me. Like I cry. I have some of this constipation. I'm letting it out, but I I still hear you. I'm totally focused on you. Yes, I'm affecting me. That's me connected to you. It's because yes, this is hard to hear, but I'm very receptive. So that's yes. an important place. And then the, the partner who is then witnessing these needs to also be okay with, no, my partner, they cry. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And I can check in with them and like, hey, are you okay? Is this a stop sign? We need to tune to this. Yes. Or is it you're hearing it? I'm going to trust that you're processing some of these difficult things I'm sharing. And we're still a team right now. Um, you can do those check-ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have and a... I think oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to shift to another our next tip and trick. Um, so. the, uh, before the next tip and trick, the what I've also seen success success with, if I could speak, <laughs> that's a tongue twister. What I have also seen success with, with the individuals I work with who have metaphorically brought their partner in the room, is their own inability to tolerate the part, the currently inability to tolerate the partner being redirected. Well, what if they don't like me? What if they break up with me? What if I don't do the right thing? There's a lot of fear sometimes behind this. And I'm thinking of 
a few individuals over the years specifically where they would bring in metaphorically. Well, the, then I, I tried to address what I wanted and needed. And then my partner was crying and then overly apologizing and saying, I, I'm just, I guess I'm a bad partner. Don't, no, no, I don't even want it. Like really minimizing and using it manipulatively. And I ask, okay, and then what is your response? Do you enable that? Or do you say, I love you? There's no need for this amount of waterworks. I have not, I, I, I honor that you're crying. I have not said anything that you need to be overly apologetic for. Redirect the conversation. No, but what if they, their emotions are not your responsibility? You have to get back to the point of what you're bringing up to break that pattern. So I recommend continuing with whatever you're trying to assert. And if, if the person is so flooded, they can't talk. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're saying, I'm saying, when they're using it as like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. I guess I can just never do anything right. Most of the time, if it's been a multi-year pattern and the person has the confidence in your own loving way, you can call out, not to their face, obviously, but you can call out BS. Your internal meter is like, this is not what they say it is. Can I push down and redirect them to be like, you don't need to apologize. There is no need for that. What I am sharing is fill in the blank. And let the other partner ratchet up their ability to tolerate the discomfort and not just use the tears as like, I'm so sorry, I'm going to deflect. Oh my gosh, no. And that's where you break the pattern of going in and rescuing and emotionally caretaking them so they can never learn to process their own tears and sit with sadness or, or lack of accountability and be called out for something. Exactly. Looking for any place where you can break the pattern. Yes. Um, cool. Uh, Another thing that I wanted to like shift into um, as a different tip and trick for how to tell a defensive partner, I'm going back to the question, yeah. how to tell a different partner they are wrong or they've done something you don't like. So that means like there's actually some responsibility on the person sharing. Yeah. Um, in yeah. fact, like when I read that question again, telling a partner that they are wrong, I get this was a question and oh, had to be succinct. Of course. Like, I would just not, if you know your partner has that defense in them that turns the waterworks on, I would- I can tell you how not to. I would encourage, the tip and trick is don't tell them they're wrong. Like not <laughs> that directly. Tell them immediately that they're wrong and wait for yeah. them to cry. <laughs> You're wrong and here's why, and I'm better than you in all these ways. Well, I yeah, think yeah. it's kind of like, you know, yeah, that's, that's just, you know, if you're going into a conversation with you're wrong yeah. or I'm wrong, then someone <laughs> yeah. loses in that conversation. True. It's a battle and that's not going to get you anywhere. So going into yeah. a collaborative discussion, that's why the second part of they've done something you don't like, that's actually a much more useful way to approach yes. someone, a, a partner who's defensive yes. with the waterworks is because it's absolutely valid to go into a relationship and say, hey, there's this thing that doesn't work for me. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's like a tip and trick A point, or I guess yeah. that's one tip and trick. It relates to another tip and trick of then um, makes me first think about how you share and using something along the lines of the Oreo method, which mm -hmm. is starting off, if you know you want to share something that was hurtful that you experienced or something you don't like your partner did, go in with a conversation and you can start with a positive related to that experience. Hey, I really liked when you did this yeah. and it was really difficult when you did that. Or mm -hmm. if you start learning from this podcast and you talk more with your partner that some of these defensive tears are they feel really insecure and unloved you can start with this oreo method of hey i really love you this is this is not change at all my commitment to you and how important you are to me and i want to let you know that there's something that was really hard that i didn't enjoy 
Yes. And I want you to hear, though, that me not enjoying this doesn't, doesn't mean, mean I, I don't love you. you. I still love I'm you. Leaving. And that's yeah. the Oreo method. Yeah. And you'll see the Oreo method, i.e. it's a sandwich. You have this positive and then a middle, that's the, the, the critique, and then another positive. Mm-hmm. You'll also notice when I, I just realized that as I was saying it, um, I used the words and and not but when I was doing it. I didn't say, hey, I really love you, but when you do this, this sucks for me. Because that <laughs> actually gets interpreted as you love me, but not really because yeah. of this thing. You love me, except you're, that you're you sharing don't. in a way, but you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, using that kind of language and being intentional on in how you share the thing yeah. that you don't like allows you to have some responsibility um, for creating an environment, being part of the environment you want to, to share, you know, good communication. Um, again, back, yeah. well, I'll, I'll stop there. Um, Oreo and Oreo and ends are very useful to how to tell a defensive partner. And, and <laughs> I will I use think, your language. <laughs> and? Yeah, and when you're describing it to the partner, keeping it about the behavior, not a, an attack on their character. I will say, yeah. as I've worked with individuals, there are some uncomfortable times where they have realized, oh, this is a personality trait that my partner's committed to keeping. They will not change this. This is who mm. they are as a core per- part. They don't take issue with it, or I am the only one who has taken issue with it. And sometimes that snowballs into other traits. If it's not something, I would recommend the sandwich method. And if you're using the sandwich method, they come back at you or they deliver back to you. That's who I am. Take it or leave it. That's information for you to intake and decide, do you want to or could you live with that person or not? And how gracefully can they accept that? Oh, yeah, I do do that. Don't I? Can we break down that defensiveness and have them take accountability instead? Because that's really going to be that what we see as the antidote to defensiveness is even if it sucks, I can see what you mean, or I can see that it bothers you. It doesn't really bother me, but I get that living with the partner who has that, it would probably be annoying. Could you, and then coming up with some sort of plan, how to prevent it in the future, if whatever the thing is that you don't like or they've done wrong is a repeated um, experience, how can you word that? Or what do each of you need to lovingly bring attention to the partner if they've done it or if they're about to do it? And that goes both ways. This is um, something we've talked about before. And I've talked about it on another podcast. I'm going to do whatever I ask my partner to do. So if I ask them to hold me accountable, I also have to model accountability. So if they've told me, like, I, I have this, I had this tick where I get really excited and I say, dude, and I, this is gender neutral for me. I call everybody that, but I remember saying that and my partner called me out for that. And he's like, please stop. And I said, no problem. Noted. I will. And so now I've said it and he's like, no, you can say it when you're excited. It was when that one discussion we were having, you were using it and almost insinuating like I wasn't smart. And you're like, come on, dude. Like it was the tone you said it, not the word. And I said, thank you. That actually helps me because now I don't need to be as on edge to never use one of my favorite words (laughs) to prove a point. So learning that you can renegotiate the sandwich and you might learn more as they modify the behavior. Oh, it was actually the tone. It was the tone of what I put in the sandwich. It wasn't the actual meat of the sandwich. Yeah. So I wanted to add that. Yeah, I love that point. That's often a key thing is it's more the attitude, the emotion, the tone, not so much the actual words if you're using, you know, non-shaming, yeah. blaming language. Right, right, of course. Um, 
I think a, a big part of like how to talk to a defensive partner like this that I think about is really having a clear understanding of the thing you wanted to tell your partner and using something that I clumsily call the broken record technique. And I don't mean saying the same thing over and over. I mean, take responsibility to stay with just that one thing. Yeah. Don't buy into the cycle of then your partner's crying and then another something comes up. A lot of couples will like throw five issues on the table at once kitchen sinking yeah you can stay with like let's just stick to the one thing i just want to be heard about this one difficult thing i'm trying to share with you Mm -hmm. in this dynamic as i said earlier there's going to be a part a and a part b so maximum now we got two things and i'm okay with that in this dynamic Mm -hmm. part of what we do in couples therapy that listeners might be able to take out uh, from this podcast is you start with your one thing your part a your partner goes into cry mode on the defense and their part B. So, okay, maybe this is something that you, you both need to attune to. Hey, you're not feeling safe. You're overwhelmed. You're in the defense cry mode. Mm-hmm. And see if we can get to a place where you're soothed, you feel safe enough, and we can go back to my part A, the thing I needed to share. Are we ready? And just keep track of those two things. If it gets confusing and you start going off the rails on other stuff, whoa, 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 wait. I was sharing one thing. That didn't feel good for you. We just need to pause for a second till you can hear me on the one thing. Let me know when you're there. Mm-hmm. And only staying on those two. That's the broken record. And so that way you're, you're in a sense, developing the skill of getting really good at tracking your conversations together. And not getting lost in the chaos that can happen with emotions. Um, so true. Um, it's hard to do. That's one reason. That's like one of the benefits of couples therapy is having a couples therapist who tracks that. Yes. But I do think this is very possible for like it in that I'm sharing my my thing that's hard to share. The part A. My partner, it's hard for them to hear. That's part B. Let's attune to both of those. Yes. A key thing, do the old pattern of take over and never coming back. If you're going to tune to, like, I hear that's hard for you to share. Let's attune to that, but we got to go back to part A. Right. We've got to resolve that. So let me know when you're ready to keep going back to this thing that I'm asking you to hear from me. Yes. That's, that's my key thing of organize this conversation, this very simple model of there's two things, part A, part B. And if part B jumps in and is a stop sign to part A being resolved, attune to it, but you better go back to part A so that both partners can feel like they had something important heard and shared in this conversation. Yes. And much of the time in the beginning, there might be a bit of heel dragging, like, but I don't want to talk about the original thing. That's why I'm crying to throw you off the trail of it. No. I'm not going to let that slide. And I, you know, you've known me for a long time. I am that way with my couples. I am very caring. I also do not take a lot of bullshit. And if we have pointed out and both partners acknowledge clearly that this is a pattern and they admit to using it as a defensive manipulative technique, 
I will be calling you out for that. I will be holding you accountable on behalf of yourself until you're able to do that so that you can have a better quality relationship, which is most of the reason why you're coming into couples therapy in the first place. We're going to pick what's adaptive and amplify it and identify what's maladaptive and work on replacing it with different coping skills, especially when it comes to defensiveness. What is difficult for you about taking accountability? What are you afraid of in taking accountability? Have you ever been modeled how to take accountability? It might be a lack of willingness because it. I have judgments about people who do that. I think they're a doormat. I think they're a pushover, et cetera. It might genuinely be, I don't know. I literally don't know how to be accountable. No one ever taught me that. I was only modeled how to be defensive. Help. But I will be holding you accountable as a model of what is the ideal standard, whether it's met every time or not. Here's the ideal standard both of you are working towards is that there's mutual fluent language of accountability. Hey, not cool that that happened earlier. Could we please make sure to whatever, put the bag in the trash can, um, put the bath mat up, whatever it might be. If it's a task oriented thing or a trait oriented thing, still bring that up. And honestly, it's the easy, it's one of the easiest things to do once you learn it. Just take a deep breath and be like, yeah, you're right. No problem. I will do that. Thank you for reminding me. I love you. And this is better for our relationship. But it can take a lot to get to that point to stomach not fighting or not being defensive because it's this power dynamic. If both of you feel mutually empowered, it doesn't feel like I'm losing by taking accountability or you're winning by pointing something wrong out. That's what I wanted to bring up as my last point. Yeah. I love that. Um, the the key of it's hard to get to that ship, and once you do, you start realizing oh, so much it's easier. It's so Sorry. sexy to take accountability. Yeah. I know that if somebody brought something up to me, my first thing I will thank them. Thank you for sharing that with me. How long have you noticed I've done that? And if it's the only time I've ever heard it, I'm a little more skeptical. But I will be gracious. Thank you for feeling safe enough to share that with me. What would what is your hope in bringing this up to me moving forward? Is it a one-time thing? What apology do I owe you? What behavior change? Like looking at it as a collaborative lens that I could be closer with this person or decide to not be in a relationship with that person moving forward is the best gift that you can give yourself. You're not losing when you take accountability. You're losing more so, I would say, when you become defensive. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I have one last thing that I was thinking of that um, to get through to this um, place that you're talking about with accountability, or if it's just to like um, start increasing both partners tolerance to, to the tears. Um, it's okay to not resolve like what I've been talking about, the part A, part B all at once. Yes. Um, it could be you turn to your partner who has, you know, has the potential to go into tear mode, share the hard thing. Tear mode happens, address it a little bit and say, okay, well, can you just think about that? Can you please like, right. cool, you heard what I said, think about that. You're not in a place to keep hearing that today, but think about that, keep processing. Can we come back to that tomorrow yes. or in a couple of days? Yeah. That's one of the, the, the things you can also lean into is believing the best of your cult for them to hear that painful thing to them that caused that defense to come up right but then after you go cool that was hurtful that was hard let's pause believe the best of them that they're going to then take some of that and think about it and process it especially if you make the direct request to do it that's yes. a way they could take accountability and go oh, okay that was hard to hear and i cried in the moment 
but I've been thinking about, yeah, my partner was pointing out that's hard for them. Cool. Mm -hmm. Then you two can come back to the conversation and be, and readdress it. And then again, if you're thinking the best of your partner, they might've processed and gone, okay, I hear that. I might have a different perspective, but I, I hear that this yeah. thing I'm doing isn't working for you. I'll, I'll, here's how I can take accountability for that X, Y, Z, and then you can get to it. So I'm just thinking that's like another one way to go about this. Yeah. Um, you can request your partner, go, okay, I hear this is hard for you. Can you please think about what I'm sharing with you now? And we can revisit yeah. it tomorrow after you've had time process and it's not so slap in your face, you know, mm -hmm. um, distressing. Yes. And we can, we can critique a person's behavior without being critical of the person themselves or their personhood. It's, I, I usually filter it of like, if anybody did this, would I be upset? And for me, if it's a yes, I address it. And if it's like, no, I feel like I'm just bothered by them specifically. What other needs aren't being met? Why else am I, might, might, might I be upset with them? And I'm like, oh, that's the real thing. Mm -hmm. Me getting triggered is just a red herring. But if it's yeah. like a true behavior that I won't tolerate in anyone, that is worthwhile to be addressed because that's core to who I am and might be based on my values. I would rather know sooner than later. So I think being able to critique a person's behavior and share what would be a better fit rather than criticizing them as a person is how to move away from creating defensiveness or those tears in your partner potentially. Absolutely. Good work. Yay. I think I can still talk about this, but uh, I think it's a lot on tips and tricks for this one yeah. um, question. Um, thanks to um, the uh, Instagram uh, question. Yeah, thank uh, you. I really appreciate that. If any of our listeners want a question answered on the podcast, um, you can also email us Ryan and Talia at thecouplesguidepodcast.com. Yes, we will be happy to answer them on the episode that we will have next whenever we get the email. So we're excited. And if you have ideas for our 100th episode, we want to hear them. DM me at Talia Bombola or email us. We want to give you what you want. Look at that. A podcast for the people. <laughs> I am very, I have, we have some good ideas coming for that. So. Yeah. Oh, I'm stoked. So we'll have a normal episode 99 and then we'll do a special episode 100 next month. Woo! I'm excited. Super fun. Um, and as always, thanks so much everyone for listening. And we will see you next time. Take good care.